Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Yeah, this is our last week in the sermon series at the movies, and uh, we are finishing it out with Black Panther, as you guys could just tell. Uh, What you might not know is on Friday, we partnered with Community First to host a screening of this movie. Who all was there from our, from our church? It was awesome. We actually helped break a record for Community First. That was the largest gathering they've ever hosted at 459 people. And uh, it was a fun, fun experience. Uh, the only downside is it, I, I didn't realize until much later into this that it gets dark really late in the summertime. Uh, Nine o'clock to begin a two and a half hour movie was a wonderful experience. Uh, so anyways, it was an awesome time. To, uh, this movie, I thought, was just so, so good. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. This movie broke a ton of records. It's, it was the biggest opening of any standalone movie that's ever come out. The biggest opening. It, it grossed over $1.3 billion. $1.3 billion. That's that's more than Somalia's GDP from 2016. Like, that's a ton of money. People loved talking about it. It was the most tweeted about movie of all history. And then it was also an incredible moment for our society. It's the biggest movie to have a predominantly African-American cast and the biggest movie for an African-American director uh, that's, uh, that's come out. People flocked to it. They loved it. And for us as students of our culture, we should be asking why. Why is it other than the amazing computer graphics and the, the car scenes and stuff like that? Is there something deeper that people are, are longing for? And this movie is speaking to that need, that longing, that hope, that desire. It actually, for me, was, it's a really interesting thing. In this movie, the introduction or the preamble for it said the whole thing. So I want us to watch how this movie began. And I want you to to take special attention in this very end of this conversation. It's a conversation between a father and a son about a place. So let's watch this introduction. So right there in that preamble, that actually shares so much. It sets the context. It gets the setting shares the main characters of this movie, but it also shares the conflict. And the conflict in this movie, the deeper conflict than just the struggle between people, the deeper conflict was embodied in that question at the very, very end. Did you pick up on it? And this is, if you didn't, this is what the father said, to keep vibranium safe, this, this, this substance of great potential, to keep it safe, Wakandans vowed to hide in plain sight. Hide and played in sight, keeping the truth of their power from the outside world. And then the child asks, do we still hide? The father says, yes. And then the child asks the main question of this whole movie, it embodies this whole movie, simply asking, why? Why do we hide? If we have such power, why, why do we hide? If, if we have such potential that could affect this world, why would we hide? If we are the strongest and most advanced country in the world, why would we hide? It, this childish question of why is the whole point of this movie. They hide because they had this incredible gift. It had great potential. 
they, they hid to be able to protect that vibranium to being used and exploited and abused in the rest of the world, but they also hid to protect themselves. And because of that, they closed themselves off from the rest of the world. And in a story like this, the story is about a protagonist, that apparition right there. His name is King T'Challa. And this movie is really about his transformation. So through a bunch of conflicts, we see this plot moving him, developing him, bringing him to a place where he he's, he's, has to learn to grow, to face this conflict head on. And he's helped by uh, the voice of moral authority. Usually in a story like this, there's a character that embodies the voice of moral authority, the one who calls out uh, the truth. And in this movie, it was this uh, spy named Nakia. She was a spy, but she was also an ex-girlfriend, which, uh, you know, sometimes they call out the moral authority, the, the wrongs that the person has uh, done. And so she is trying to teach King T'Challa, the Black Panther, she's trying to keep, teach him the failure, the, in, in biblical language, the communal sin, what Wakanda is doing. She's, she's pointing out what is wrong, almost in the voice of a prophet, and you see, for this movie, it teaches us something. Something deeply embedded within scriptures teaches us the very nature of sin. There's two different types of sin. When we think about sin, we most commonly think about the sin of commission, which is the sin that I commit. You know, it's me stealing or killing or telling a lie or lusting after something, desiring, coveting after something. There's that sin, and then if you go to the next slide, uh, there's also the sin of omission, and that's actually the sin of not doing. It's, the, this, it's when with, you withhold something, you're, you're not acting, you're, not, you're choosing to, to remain dormant, to, to hide out. It's when you have the opportunity to live with compassion, but you choose not to. When you can bring about justice and you've chosen not to. This is also a sin. It's the failure to give aid and help, love and encouragement. God cares just as much about that sin than the sin of commission. And we find this, uh, this, this wrestling match between King T'Challa and the voice of moral authority in this next clip. Let's take a look at it. <laughs> So right there, we see Nakia calling out the, the sin of omission. And King T'Challa is just sharing the narrative that he had learned, which is what? If we shared our power, if we opened up our walls and let anyone come in here, they would bring their problems along with them. If we make ourselves accessible, made ourselves more vulnerable, we're going to lose potentially the way of our life. This, by the way, is obviously uh, the conversation that our nation's having this week, Right? This, this struggling match between how vulnerable do we make ourselves versus how accessible we allow the pains and the hurts and the need of this world to be accessed by us. And we even experience it right there in that conversation. We might have the same narrative in our own hearts and our own minds. So what is the driving force for Nakia, for her to travel the world and jump into dark places, bring about justice? It's compassion. She has experienced the darkness and the pain of this world. She can't just be in Wakanda where she can hide out. 
And what is the voice, the driving force within King T'Challa? Might be control, safety, security. Might also be a little bit of fear. What if? We, we ask those questions too. What if? The fear of losing one's comfort, stability, status quo. Just for our own life, we just need to make it really micro for a second. Those are subtle idols that can creep into our hearts and our minds where we begin to craft a life where we really are chasing after control and comfort, where things that are infringing are coming against my stable life, where we start lashing out at them. Why? It's threatening. Vulnerability is hard. But those are subtle idols, and oftentimes those hold us back from living out our truer calling, to live out with costly compassion, courageous compassion. I had this experience this past week. I was having lunch with my friend Mary, and uh, I absolutely love Mary because she, I just, when I hang out with her, I, you just scratch beneath the surface, and you, you hear these stories about her life, and she just lives differently. Um, I found out something this, this week with, about Mary I didn't know, that she had uh, mentored an at-risk youth. And in this one experience that she was mentoring her, um, she found out, you know, she was inter- interacting with her, and she, this, this girl was just not acting normal. She was distracted. She was just not present. She was frantic a little bit. So Mary stopped the, ste- the session and said, hey, is something going on that you need to talk about? And uh, this, this young woman said, I just found out that um, I don't have a place to stay tonight. I'm homeless tonight, and my mom is long gone. So Mary goes, okay. She heard a little bit more about the situation, and then she said, can I step out for a second? And she stepped out to call her husband with this desire of like, hey, can we host, can we host her for a while? Do we figure out what's going on? Uh, her husband didn't answer, so of, of course, what did she do then? Just call her best friend, right? Her best friend picks up and, says, and she said, hey, this young woman needs a place to stay. I don't know what to do. Can you help me out here? What should I do? And her friend said the most comforting words to her, which was, I don't know. This could go really, really poorly. And so for Mary, she said that she had this struggling match about, you know, fear and compassion, and she was flooded with all the what-ifs, right? Like, if, you, if that was you, if that was me, I'd be flooded with all the what-ifs. What if, what if this doesn't go well? What if she takes advantage of us? What if she steals from us? What if she never leaves, right? And uh, she decided between this, this wrestling match to choose compassion. And um, four years later, uh, four years later, she is in an Ivy League school on a full ride. She's... This young woman's the student body president of her college. And Mary would say that this has been one of the most incredible gifts for her. Now, that being said, was it simple? No. Mary said to me, it was so hard. There were seasons where this was so challenging. But God used that compassion to bring about an unexpected beauty. And she wouldn't have chosen anything else. Yeah, I feel like when we... This was a mantra for Jen and I a couple years ago, is comfort is overrated. I just encourage you, take on that mantra if you want. Comfort is overrated. We can try to pursue it and go after it, but man, it might actually be toxic. 
for us to live a life with the goal of comfort. It's overrated. Some of the best things in life take courage. And in this movie, we see how this fear led to many failures, failures of sin of omission. And the ultimate sin of omission in this story was depicted by the neglect of a child. In this complicated situation, I can't really explain it, but King T'Challa's father was the king and had the struggle with his uncle. And out of the struggle, the father had to kill the uncle. And it was a tragic thing. And this was in America. And they knew that the uncle had a son, they knew that they probably should take the son with them back to Wakanda, but they chose not to because they were afraid. And what happens oftentimes, this poor child was now orphaned. He was alone. He was vulnerable. And because of the sin of omission, this child would grow up with the simple goal of avenging his father's death. He would end up being called the killmonger which is a great, uh, it's a great, you know, like a villain's name, right? The killmongerer. And uh, he would spend the rest of his life trying to, to, to find the reason why his father was killed and to destroy it. And through many twists and turns, the killmonger overthrew King T'Challa. He became the king of Wakanda and the new Black Panther. And I remember when I was watching this next clip, uh, when I was watching this, it, it's interesting what the director does right here. If you can go ahead. Uh, and show it. So this is in the moment where this, uh, he's the killmonger, he's the, he's the adversary in this movie. And when he goes into the throne room for the very first time, the director does something really interesting right here. He starts this scene upside down to disorient us, to make it feel like the world is upside down. And I remember watching this and thinking, oh, that's so smart. That idea for us to see this experience of feeling disoriented and dizzy. And for me, as I look around this world, I, does anyone else feel dizzy? Does anyone just feel a little bit disoriented by just the needs of this world? The, the noise from the news cycle in which we live in? Anyone just feel disoriented knowing what to do? Feeling helpless if you want to do something? Feeling like this world is flipped completely upside down. In the midst of that, we could be paralyzed to do nothing, but the voice of God calls us to do something. The voice of God calls us into action, even though we might feel disoriented. And just like this scene, there are times even in Israel's history where a king was kicked out because of great sin of omission. Again and again, there's stories in the scripture called the prophets that actually was used by God to call out the sin of the community. And it's really interesting. More often than not, it was the sin of omission that God saw. That God saw the nation of Israel, God's people, and they weren't caring for the widow. They weren't caring for the orphan. They weren't caring for, for, for the stranger, the alien, or the immigrant. They, they, they weren't doing it. And so because of that, because of that, the throne was lost and God's people were sent out. Most famously, I think, that we find in the, in the prophet Micah spoke about this in Micah 6.8. This is what is declared. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
What does God care about? What does God define as good? There it is, right there. A week ago, if you were to be with me, I was floating down the Frio River on a kayak, uh, fishing for bass. It was a beautiful day. It was at 80 degrees. I was going down the Frio River, and if you were to be with me in my kayak, I would have looked at you at some point and said, now this is the good life. And it kind of is. That is a good part of life. That's God's definition of the good life. You want to know what what God considers good? Acting justly, loving with mercy, walking humbly with God. That is the good life. That is how you were created to exist. If you want to know what it means to live well, there it is right there. And I have to look at that list and go, "Am am I doing it? Am I experiencing the good life? Oftentimes, we lose our way, and that's why we need a hero to show us the way. In this movie, The Black Panther is that hero. He experienced a death, and he comes back again almost in in the same Christ-like figure. Uh, And we check out this next scene here where he comes back alive, but before he does so, he has to go and confront the kings of the past. Notice this. So we see in this moment right here, the hero's journey experiences a loss and it comes back with a certain fortitude, a certain uh, steadfastness after a goal, after doing what is right. And did you hear the, the words of the father when he was confronted by this? It was the truth that we chose to admit. In our lives, are, are we living with the truth of, of the gospel at the forefront of who we are? Or are we choosing to admit the truth from our life? Are we choosing to admit doing what is right? Or to use the words uh, that we just heard there, we let the fear, the fear from this world stop us from doing what is right. I believe that right now in the Christian experience in this country that in which we live, oftentimes we have to be very mindful that our, our faith and our religion doesn't revolve around us, our comforts, our hope our plans, even our salvation. It's much, much bigger than that. And we too need a hero to wake us up, to show us the way. And I think one of the greatest gifts for us is, uh, one of the greatest gifts for us is the cross. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy this next moment like you guys get to, just to sit here and look forward. All right. So I, I really love, one of the things I love about this, this space of this cross that is front and center every Sunday. And uh, one of the things that we think of when we think of the cross is we think of Jesus and his act of heroism to lay down his life. And oftentimes when I think of the cross, I, most often I, what I think of when I think of the cross was the promise that Jesus has given me and gives all of us that the power of sin has been dismantled. It's been It's ended. This gives me access to life. This gives me access to, to know God, to walk with God for all of eternity. And that truly is the point in the image of the cross. But the cross is so much more than that. The cross is also the imitation that Jesus gives to us. That this cross is not only the symbol of our Savior, but is also the symbol of the Savior's call for you and I. One of the things that I was struck with this week 
was what was put on the cross. I've always thought it was the sin, the sin I've done. And I grew up in a, in a guilt-based religion. That's just how, my home. I always felt really guilty all the, all the time, and I would pray and I would remember the cross. Uh, by the way, guilt's nev- not really useful to change someone, right? Like guilt is really good to make someone feel awful, but it doesn't have the power to change. Grace has that power. When I think about all the, all the things I've done wrong, the sin of commissions, the things that I screwed up and did. But I wonder if also on that cross was Jesus crucifying the sin of omission. That on that cross we also get to see all the things that humanity has failed to do and he's done. Like God knew that we would not be able to act with justice and love mercy and walk humbly with the Father. And so Jesus had to do it. He had to fulfill the life that you and I could not do. So on that cross, is, it's not only the sins, of, the sins of the actions that we've done, it's also the damnable apathy that we have towards the suffering of this world. That's on there too. That when this world could see how God's people, especially Christians who bear God's image, are reluctant to do what is right in this world, at least they have the story of Jesus on the cross who showed us what it truly meant to love mercy, to act justly, and to humble himself upon the cross. And Jesus said to his disciples, it makes this so, so clear, Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 8, 34 and 35, he called together the crowd along with him and his disciples, and he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Like, this is not an option. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, the cross has to be yours. And notice these words. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. What does it mean to save your life? Save my comforts. Save my protection. Save my, my, my own status quo. That's actually the most dangerous way to live, Jesus is saying here. Because if you want to save your life it's lost. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, the good news for this world, you're going to save your life. That's the safest way to live. And it's, it's a paradox. It's a complete paradox. The safest way for us to live is the riskiest way. It's the riskiest way. There's a great quote from an English poet uh, G.K. Chesterton, and it's, listen to this, it mirrors that, that Mark passage. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of the readiness to die. The paradox of courage is that a person must be a little careless with his life in order to keep it. This week, I'm going to try to be a little bit more careless with my life. I'm going to try to, to push my comfort aside, my, my, my sense of uh, control aside. I'm going to choose to, to live with the cross in mind. So in our culture nowadays, we don't have to live with the possibility of being killed or martyred. We're, that's not what the cross means for us. So what does it mean? What does the cross mean? What can I put to death that is centered around me? 
my life. So I have a little confession to make. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to lead out with having some self disclosure. Um, I struggle with my image uh, a lot, and it's not my body image. Obviously, I take great care of this chiseled, incredible body I have. There's not much more you could do with it than I have already done. Uh, what I mean by my image is I really struggle with approval. Uh, and by the way, most pastors do. We're like the most insecure population in the whole world for whatever reason. Most of us pastors struggle with approval. And so for the last 13 years, I have, I've had this shadow mission, and it's been kind of, uh, you can sum it up with, I have the reputation of being the surprising pastor. Like, you, like <laughs> uh, oftentimes well into my friendship, people will find, find out I'm a pastor. Like, oh, I didn't, you're a pastor, What? And, uh, or I've even had people introduce me to their friends as, hey, this is Mark. He's a pastor, but don't worry, he's, he's normal. And uh, there's part of that's fine. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to be like most pastors. But there's a shadow side of it. And what it, what it really is, is I'm a surprising pastor in the fact I wonder if I'm mirroring the, this movie, if, I, if I'm hiding in plain sight. I'm a little bit of a chameleon. I can blend into whatever person. I don't want to, I can't, I can blend in without offending, without being too easily marked. And there's a part of that that's actually really, really dangerous and sad. I don't want to offend people. I don't want to ever overstep. I don't want to push people. And so I hide. So I'm going to reclaim that term being the surprising pastor. I want to surprise people with mercy. I want to surprise people with kindness, but I also want to surprise people with speaking the truth and love and loving with authority. I would love to have that be the marker of my life as well as for the life of our church. I know for me personally, I need to put to, de- put to death, I need to put on the cross my desire for acceptance and seek to share the best news of the world with this, with this, with this community. So what about you? What is the cross calling for you? What, is, what does the cross mean to you today? Where is the place in your life, whether it be your comfort, your control, whether it be your status quo, that you need to, to lay down for the sake of this world? Where is the place of mercy and justice that God is leading to you? Remembering the child's question, and as the band comes on up here, uh, remembering the child's question from the very beginning, you weren't meant to hide. You were meant to shine. And the way in which you shine is by acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with your God. That is when you shine. That is when the good life is found in and through you. So, friends, may that be the case. May you be filled with courage to love this world with gusto.